am genuinely really excited to have recently joined the board of IGM UK. Um, it's a massive, unexpected privilege, um, and I'm eager to see God work um, in and through the wonderful work of IJM. That said, I have massive imposter syndrome. Um, I absolutely am no expert at all uh, on this topic or on this charity, in fact, and I'm learning and I'm eager to know more. And there are many who have been even here this morning um, who have been longer term uh, supporters and champions of this cause. Not least, um, they're not here, but John and uh, Sheena Bevan, as, as Martin referred to, um, if, if, if you um, were impressed with what the boys did, um, John eclipsed it all, uh, doing a million steps in his garden um, after a stroke to raise funds for IGM. So uh, there's some champions right there, right? <laughs> Very impressive. So I'll try and not cry this morning. There's going to be plenty of opportunity. Uh, so I'll do my best. So all that to say, um, as we continue to do awesome things to support IGM as a church, I really would value your prayers, and uh, especially in this, uh, this new role. Um, to get us started, I'm going to ask us a question. And the question is, I wonder what makes you angry? What really winds you up? And I'm going to go for a little bit of audience um, participation this morning. And I want us to vote on what makes you the most mad out of these statements. So I've got three statements for you. First of all, is it someone else's atrocious driving? Does that make you mad? I don't know why you're laughing, Naomi. Is that because, are you, is it the one that makes you mad or are you the perpetrator? I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll go with that. Secondly, this is, this is contextual, someone pushing in front of you in a queue. We're learning a lot about the Britishness of queuing this week. And in fact, uh, Marjorie, you were a full participant in the queuing activities. So does somebody pushing in front of you in a queue, does that drive you mad? I remember being on a ski trip to France and getting extremely annoyed by their inability to understand queuing. Uh, and finally, is it a family member in control of the TV remote? So there, there is a certain family member that will remain nameless, but she's not here, um, <laughs> who should never be given the TV remote in our household. So I'm going to go for it. Give me a vote. Which is uh, somebody else's atrocious driving? Put your hand up if you're, that really drives you mad. Oh, I'm surprised. I thought that would have been a little bit stronger. Someone pushing in front of you in a queue. Okay, that's got a bit more support. And the TV remote. I think there's a generational thing, perhaps, on the TV remote thing. So, well, listen, these might be silly, and they certainly are. But today, we are going to be looking at something that is likely to make you angry. I'm not sure that that's a great way to start a sermon. But my hope is that it will stir you to take action. Even Jesus, when he cleared the temple, got angry and took action. And that's why we chose this morning to take part in Freedom Sunday, along with thousands of other churches all around the world who are devoting time to this important topic of modern slavery and what we're called to do in response. And the good news is, as much as I'm going to try and make you angry, as Zoe so eloquently told us in her video, the good news is that there's hope in the darkness. And we'll get to that. So first, let me share with you some stuff that will hopefully achieve the aim of making you angry. Today, over 40 million people are held in slavery. More than at any other time in history. Let that sink in for a second. That's more than the entire population of Canada or the entire population of Ukraine. 
And one in four of those held in modern slavery today is a child. Ten million children. 4.8 million adults are victims of forced sexual exploitation. That's roughly the entire population of Scotland working as sex slaves. A child goes missing in India every eight minutes. And nearly half are never found. Globally, it's estimated that five, 5 billion people, we're talking about 4 billion people watching this Queen's funeral, 5 billion people live outside the protection of the law. Obviously, these are incredibly difficult statistics to comprehend. They're shocking and wrong in every sense. And it's heartbreaking to think back to the great abolitionists like William Wilberforce and know that more than 200 years later, there's still such an enormous problem. And importantly, these are not just faceless statistics. These are a series of individuals made in God's image living unspeakable lives under the tyranny of the very worst of human evil. But injustice has a name. Let me introduce you to one of them. This is Tia Yama. Tia Yama had a very difficult upbringing. She grew up in South Asia. She would often stay at her grandmother's as her parents fought a lot. They were abusive and forced her to quit her education. Tia Yama and her husband Devendran were barely out of their teens when they were exposed to the horrors of modern day slavery. Their daughter Lavanya was born and the couple struggled to survive off their daily wage jobs. There was work in a woodcutting unit just outside their village which had better pay and so they went and took a look at that, and however, in their first week, they discovered the job was not all it seemed. Bound by a very small debt, Tia Yama was forced to work from dawn to dusk, chopping acres of trees and loading trucks without adequate food or rest or pay. The slave owner attempted to sexually assault her, as he'd done with other workers. We're going to watch a little video of Tia Yama's story it's got subtitles on it, so if you're hard of seeing, apologies. Just bear with us for two minutes while we just quickly watch this. Mamma, Cadet, Cadet, Patrona, Nakada Solonke, Pipo, Namina, Cadet, Solopor, Nani, Nana, Apa, Namur, Ertler, and the Ertler, Mario, Chinada, or Cadet, Solon, Seria. 
நம்ம முள்ளு வேற இடத்துல போயிட்டு நம்ம வீட்டுக்கு வர முடியாது நிலைமையில இருந்தோம் என்னங்க <laughs> <laughs> அடிச்சுக்கிறான் இது ரொம்ப வாசனையாவே வரும் நம்மளுக்கு இந்த குழம்பு வச்சுனாவே நம்ம சாம்பார் சாப்பிட்டமா நம்ம கிட்ட என்ன இருக்குன்னா இந்த புளிப்பு கஞ்சி தவிர வேற எதுவும் இருக்காது நீ கேட்ட மாதிரி பருப்பு சாம்பார் சாப்பிடணும் நம்மளுக்கு ஆசை தானே நாம சாப்பிடணும்னா புளிப்பு கஞ்சி தவிர வேற எதுவும் இல்லமா கேப்பியாலவனியா சொல்லதா நம்ம அந்த இடத்துல அந்த அளவுக்கு கஷ்டப்பட்டிருக்கான் அந்த மிருகத்துக்கிட்ட அதுக்கப்புறம் உடம்பு ரொம்ப டயர்ட் ஆகிடும் எனக்கு தலைவலி அதிகமாகிடும் சாப்பிடவே தோணாது வாமிட் மாதிரி வாமிட் எடுத்துக்கிட்டேன் அதுக்கப்புறம் தான் எனக்கு தெரிஞ்சுக்கிட்டேன் எனக்குள்ள ஒரு பாப்பா இருக்குது தம்பி பாப்பாவா இல்லை தம்பி பாப்பாவா தெரியும் நம்ம எல்லாரும் நான் என்னையும் அடிக்கும் அப்பாவையும் அடிக்கும் நம்ம நம்ம பாப்பா வயிற்றுல வச்சுக்கிட்டு கூட நினச்சே பார்க்க மாட்டாமா அந்த மிருகம் அந்த மிருகம் அந்த மாதிரி செய்யுமா அதெல்லாம் நம்ம எப்படி போக முடியுமா going to hear more about Tiyama in a few minutes. The issue of justice and freedom what is one that is incredibly close to God's heart. In fact, there are so many different references to this topic in the Bible I just didn't know where to start. And we don't have time to cover all of these, but I wanted to just share some with you quickly to give you a bit of an overview of what the Bible has to say. Psalm 106 verse 3 says blessed are those who observe justice who do righteousness at all times. Proverbs 29:7 the righteous care about the justice for the poor but the wicked have no such concern. Psalm 33:5 He that's God loves righteousness and justice the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Jeremiah 22:3 Thus says the Lord do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien the fatherless and the widow nor shed innocent blood in this place Proverbs 14:31 Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him 
Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And a familiar one, Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? There's no doubt that the scriptures give us a mandate to pay attention to this topic, But for today, I want us to focus in on one passage that I didn't read. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. Feel free to jump up and grab a Bible if you don't have one with you. And if you don't own one, feel free to take that one home as our gift. So Luke chapter uh, chapter 4, sorry, starting at verse 14. And in my Bible the headline here says, Jesus begins his ministry. And then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he, he rolled up the scroll, scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. May God bless his word to us this morning. Quick bit of background to this passage. So right before this, Jesus has been taken to the wilderness. He's been led there by the Spirit. And then he's been tempted by the devil. And as we know, he resisted that temptation. Then in verse 15, uh, 14, sorry, it says that he returned to his hometown, to Galilee. And he does so in the power of the Spirit. And then it says, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue. Now, this would have been a small group of Jews who would have gathered together for worship. The synagogues were, were created in the Babylonian exile and they were kind of in place for for when we couldn't get to the temple. And so this wouldn't necessarily have been a big gathering of people, but as was his custom, it says that that he would go and teach there. And one of the practices that, you know, they would have certain rituals and practices, and one of those was to read from the Old Testament scrolls. And often a visiting teacher would have been asked to do so. And so Jesus, again, by the power of the Spirit, has been brought uh, to his hometown, to the synagogue, and then by the power of the Spirit is asked to read and looks to the, sorry, he goes to read um, the scroll from Isaiah. And Jesus chooses to turn to what we now know as chapter 61. And as I said, in my Bible, um, right above verse 16, it says that, that um, Jesus begins his ministry. So just think about that for a second. Jesus, since the beginning of time, has known that he's going to need to step into human history. He's then taken roughly 30 or so years on earth to prepare for his ministry here. And in this moment, 
at the very outset of his public ministry, he chooses to set out his purpose, to make a declaration about who he is. And Isaiah 61 is how he chooses to do this. So Jesus stands up and he reads this incredible prophecy, which we'll go through in detail in just a minute. And then he has this kind of mic drop moment. Verse 20 says, he rolled up the scroll, he hands it back to the attendant, and then he just sits down, and then he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of all that Old Testament prophecy. And throughout Luke's gospel, we'll see that there's many examples of where those prophecies are coming to pass. And we, we read that at first, that the synagogue is fixated with him. And, and they spoke well of him. In fact, in verse 15, it says that he was glorified by all. And then the penny begins to drop. He makes it clear that he's claiming to be the Messiah. And that, of course, creates more than just a little bit of a stir. I won't read it now, but in chapter 4, when you read further on, we hear that the crowds are so enraged that they threaten to kill him. Such is the audacity of his claim. Over the past week or so, a couple of weeks, we've heard some big first speeches which have set out a stall of what the individual stands for. A new British Prime Minister has made some big statements about cost of living and energy policies. A new king has set out his stall regarding the union and the kind of monarch he's going to be. And here, as we saw in the video, Jesus, the King of Kings, at the very beginning of his ministry, is making some enormous statements, setting out who he is. And in that moment, he chooses to specifically call out the needs of the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. And it's a very, very beautiful picture. So let's just have a look, phrase by phrase, in, in what he's saying, starting at verse 18 as we look at this prophecy. So it starts out by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. If we look a little bit further back, like I mentioned, in verse 1 and then in verse 14, we see that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit during the temptation. And then he's taken back to Galilee by the power of the Spirit. And now he's again underlining that he is full of the Holy Spirit as he fulfills this prophecy and begins his public ministry. It then goes on to say, because he, that's God, has anointed me, Jesus makes it clear that he is anointed by God. The dictionary definition of the adjective anointed, as I looked it up, was chosen or nominated. So the Spirit of God, the Creator God, is on Jesus because he's been chosen. So he's chosen Jesus to do what? Well, he goes on to say, to proclaim good news to the poor. The good news is, of course, the gospel, the invitation to salvation through Jesus Christ. And while he's talking about the spiritual poor, I'm totally convinced this also reflects his particular heart for the poor, the least, the abandoned in society, especially in light of all those passages we read a little bit earlier. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon him because he's been chosen to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
Again, I think there's a literal and a metaphorical statement happening here. Jesus has come to say to those in captivity, both spiritually and physically, those like Tiama, to say, I've come to give you freedom. That's what this Sunday's all about, right? Freedom. Freedom from sin, as Martin was mentioning earlier, freedom from fear, and freedom from oppression. And of the most highest importance, freedom from the grave. So he's come to proclaim good news to the poor. He's come to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's come to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus has a heart for the physically and spiritually blind. He wants them to bring recovery, wholeness, restoration. And that's incredibly important to the work of IGM too. It's not just about releasing people from captivity. It's about restoring them, about seeking justice, about seeking recovery. So we've got proclaiming good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, and again, liberty to those who are oppressed. So in case there was any doubt, Jesus emphasizes again that he's here to bring freedom. Then finally, it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In wrapping this all up, he points to the year of Jubilee where slaves were given the chance to be free, where debts were canceled, where property was returned. Jesus was chosen and anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So again, right at the start of his ministry, as Jesus outlines his purpose, his intention, as he sets out the stall for what he's about, he makes a claim that he's the culmination of hundreds of years of prophecies and expectation. And in that moment, he chooses to make it clear that he's interested in the least. He underlines his passion for the poor, the captive, the sick, the oppressed. And just as Jesus was passionate about this, we should be too. Against the backdrop of the kind of statistics that we were hearing a few minutes ago, 40 million in slavery, 5 million forced into the sex industry, children being stolen every eight minutes, against that backdrop, we should be incredibly passionate. We should be angry. We should be stirred. God's heart for, inju- for justice is abundantly clear, and the question is, is ours. Of course, Jesus didn't just talk about this in some theoretical way. He acted. Throughout the Gospels, we see example after example of how Jesus cared for the marginalized, the lepers, the prostitutes, the sick, the widows, the hungry. And I believe Jesus is calling us to act too. He's asking us not to turn a blind eye, but to get involved. He's asking us to expose the darkness of what's really going on in this world if we would just be brave enough to look. There's evil beyond comprehension, but we know that light shines brightest in the darkest of nights. In the film National Treasure, the great theologian Nicolas Cage uh, is reading from, by the way, that's my entire history of American uh, continent, uh, is based on uh, National Treasure. Um, So Nicolas Cage is reading from the U.S. Declaration of Independence, and he paraphrases one section this way. He says, Those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. 
In other words, when there are atrocities going on, it's not okay to stick our heads in the sand. And while this is on the U.S. Declaration of Independence, it is a great biblical principle. A few chapters on from Luke chapter 4, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see this illustrated by Jesus. We see a victim who has found himself helpless. He's felt the consequences of being outside the rule of law, just like we said five billion people are today. He's unable to take action on his own. Instead, he needs someone to help. And so the priest and the Levite both saw the man, but they chose to walk past. They chose to ignore the problem. It was just too difficult, too costly. And then hopefully we all know what comes next. The Samaritan comes along, the least likely person to help, and he chooses to get involved. He steps into the mess, ensuring not only that the man is rescued from a situation, but that he's restored and is recovered. And it costs him, it's costly. It takes effort. But he sees the man and is compelled to act. Those who have the ability to act have the responsibility to act. Friends, we need to have our eyes open to injustice that's happening all around us. And it's perhaps easy to think about something like modern-day slavery and suspect that it's a distant reality. But the truth is, it's not. It's much, much closer to home than we might care to believe. A few weeks ago, we saw the shocking news about Olympic star Mo Farah. In fact, it was the day of my very first IGM board meeting. It came on the, on the uh, BBC News. We only know him by the name Mo Farah because he was trafficked to the UK under a false name and forced into child labor here in this country. In January 2022, a 56-year-old man in Carlisle was convicted of exploiting a vulnerable worker and keeping him in a shed for 40 years. A farm in Hertfordshire supplying fresh produce to Tesco and Waitrose and M&S was investigated in May this year for exploiting as many as 150 Nepali workers. 77% of UK companies believe there's a likelihood of slavery somewhere in their supply chain. And the war in Ukraine has opened up an enormous issue with cross-border trafficking, especially related to the sex trade as women and children look for ways to travel across Europe to flee the war. And in fact, when, when Scott and Rachel were recently on holiday in Romania, Scott met up with the IGM team there who are on the front line trying to respond to this incredible crisis. Are you feeling angry yet? I hope so. Are you feeling helpless? I absolutely hear you. And the good news is, as I promised, friends, there is hope. Remember Tiayama? Well, let's go back to her story for a second. Someone had seen Tiayama suffering and had managed to give her the phone number of an IGM investigator. Desperate, she called IGM and begged for help. 
especially for her daughter and other children. When IGM and local authorities investigated, Tiama, now heavily pregnant, boldly described all that they'd endured. Let's watch the rest of her story. அப்படி நான் அத்தையோச்சு நான் என்ன பண்றதுனே தெரியல விடவே இல்லை நினைச்சுமா நான் அங்கால பரமேஸ்வரி என் தாயே நீ வந்தாலும் அங்கால பரமேஸ்வரி என் தாயே நீ வந்தாலும் வரவே அந்த மிருகத்தை நம்பலமா நம்மள மாதிரி நல் நல்ல மனுஷங்க இருக்கிறாங்க அவங்ககிட்ட நான் நம்ம அவங்க வந்தாங்க அவங்ககிட்ட நம்ம குறைய நம்ம கஷ்டத்தை அவங்ககிட்ட நான் சொன்னேன் லாவண்யா நம்ம கஷ்டத்துக்காக நான் குரல் கொடுத்தேன் கஷ்டம் நான் வெளியே சொல்லவே தான் எங்களை மீட்டு எடுத்து வெளியே விட்டுருக்காங்க பாப்பா என்னாச்சு நம்ம பாப்பாவா Amazing. I don't know if you caught it, two things I wanted to highlight. The, one that, the bit that really gets me, in case it was hard to see up in the top right-hand corner there, is there were several clips from that which was actual rescue footage from IGM as they were set free. And the other piece just to flag, if, if for those of you maybe who couldn't see properly, is that they were enslaved for three years over the debt of 12 pounds. Tiyama immediately received urgent medical care and felt her baby move for the first time in six months. And today, we've got a picture of her. Tiyama's family have their own home in a village with other survivors of slavery. Devendran, her husband, has good work, and her daughter, Lavanya, has started school. Good news to the poor. Liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. 
IGM works globally to protect people in poverty from slavery and violence. Their team of lawyers, social workers, and investigators partner with authorities. And that's just so important to create sustainable change. They partner to rescue those in slavery from around the world. They work with survivors to support them with trauma care and restoration. And they work to bring criminals to justice, to help strengthen justice systems, and to build a world where people are protected from abuse. Their mission is to work until all are free. Amazingly, through their work, more than 76,000 people have been set free from slavery. 4,600 perpetrators have been convicted. 305,000 justice officials have been trained. And 7.3 million vulnerable people in Cambodia, the Philippines, Uganda, and Guatemala have been sustainably protected from targeted violence. Good news to the poor. Liberty to the captives. There's so many more stories we could tell of how IGM are being the hands and feet of Jesus, as Kyle put it, bringing freedom and restoration. And their prayerful hope is that they will protect 500 million people from violence by 2030. This awesome, godly work is inspiring, and it's been great to get under the skin of organizations like IGM. I think, however, as a personal level, the challenge for us is that we can all be left feeling a little helpless. When we look at this level of challenge and need, it's easy to see how huge organizations can make a difference, but what can we do as individuals? William Wilberforce said three things were needed to destroy slavery. Awareness, prayer, and money. So hopefully today we've increased just a little bit of the awareness of this issue and God's heart for justice and freedom. We desperately need to pray, and we will in a moment. There's nothing more important we can do. One of the most amazing things that, about IGM is that they've, they join together for an hour every single day to devote to prayer. I've had the privilege of joining some of the UK team's prayer meetings a few times, and it's been so much of a blessing to see them on their knees for this incredible cause. And as individuals and as a church, we need to continue to be intentional to pray about this and other massive issues like this. And if you feel called to, there's definitely a need to give. Or to be inspired by Kyle and Jonah or John or many others in the church to raise funds for organizations just like IGM. On your seat, we put out some uh, flyers, a leaflet, which will help you get connected to pray for um, IGM regularly. And there's another one there if you want to consider becoming a freedom partner as a regular donor to IGM. And if you fill them in, you can either give them back to me or send them in, and we'll make sure we get them to the right place. It's a privilege for each of us to have the opportunity to join God's work in fighting injustice. It's a blessing to be caring for the least in places like Romania and India. But as I mentioned earlier, there is also need right on our doorstep. Trafficking those who are being exploited, those who are displaced by war. In fact, yesterday I had the really brilliant privilege of a massive joy 
of being able to spend some time with a Ukrainian refugee family um, right here in Aberdeen that's, that are staying in my sister's flat. And it was an absolute joy. Um, they're free, but their freedom has come at incredible cost. And um, their need is real. And that's the case all over the region, whether that's folks from Syria or Afghanistan or Ukraine. The least are coming to our doorstep, and we need to shine Jesus' light into their heart and need. Just one quick story. I know we're tight for time, but um, I, I love this one. So um, there's a number of Syrian families that have come to Kintour over the past few years. And uh, Dinah Carnikin, um, Charlie, our elder's wife, um, has really befriended some of the families. And you wonder, what do you do for families that have been through this, right? So there's been all sorts of stuff, bits of you know, food, food you know, deliveries and, uh, and furniture and whatever. But she's taught some of the ladies how to drive, just quietly. She would never tell you. Her and Sarah Stevens have both gotten bored, and they've, they've just taught them to drive. You know, there's all sorts of societal issues or cultural issues about men teaching them to drive. So the ladies have just gotten bored and taught them. I think they've taken their lives into their hands a few times, but, but they've taught them how to drive. And, and they're, you know, that's just a massive step forward in terms of that restoration journey, right? So just awesome opportunities to get involved. I would encourage you to open your eyes, to look around, to get involved. There's darkness out there that we can barely comprehend. There's pain and hurt that's unimaginable. There are things that should make us extremely angry. And yes, friends, just like Jesus proclaimed, there's hope. Jesus showed us in Luke 4 that he has a heart that beats for the poor, the oppressed, the captive, and the hurting. We should pray for that same heart, and we should act. As we ponder what that looks like for each of us, let's just watch one more little video before we close out. Right now, there are people trapped in slavery. People who have been taken, beaten, abused, and robbed of their dreams. Rupa and her child live in constant fear of violence. Arul is crushed by the labor he's been forced to do every day. Lydia is hidden away her body used over and over. At International Justice Mission, we know that this is not the world we want. So we unite. One body, many parts, working together to bring rescue. The heart in this body is our freedom partners, strong and dependable you. Freedom Partners courageously give every month, funding rescue month by month, rescue by rescue, beat by beat. Without Freedom Partners, hands would not grasp, feet would not move, Eyes would not see. 
Freedom Partners send rescue to restore Reaper's family. Give freedom to Arut. And make sure Lydia is found. It will take a strong heart to end slavery. It will take you. By joining as a freedom partner, you will bring rescue to people trapped in slavery all around the world, showing them help is coming. Month by month, rescue by rescue, beat by beat. Psalm 82 says this, give justice to the weak and fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you above everything else that Jesus came, the fulfillment of all the hundreds of years of prophecy, the one who came to step into human history to make it possible for us to have salvation in his name, and the one, yes, who had a heart for the poor and the captive, and the least. Lord, help us to be moved, God. Help us to take action, but help us to see the hope that comes in Jesus' name. Thank you that you can make all things new. Thank you that you can change an entire generation. Thank you, God, that you can bring restoration and wholeness to those who have been hurt and abused. And Lord, we do thank you for the work of International Justice Mission. We thank you for the work that they're doing to be your hands and feet to make this a reality. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the passionate, um, consistent work and support that has been going on in this church. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help IGM to be effective in their ministry. Lord, help us to open our eyes and to see all around us the realities of what are happening here in our very own backyard. And Lord, for those who are currently lost, hidden, God, would you be the one who just as the shepherd would go after the one. Leave the 99 and go after them, Lord. Would you go and pursue them? Bring freedom, God. On this Freedom Sunday, we pray that there would not be a future where 40 million people are enslaved. Lord, would you, by the power of your spirit that we heard about earlier, move until all are free. We ask this all in Jesus' precious holy name. 
Amen.